This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters, and culture. Colonization and genocide are still happening today. Sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Come over here. Hey, it's noon, you know, from Ozpol Snackpod, the podcast that brings you the truth they don't want you to know. Well, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is my co-host Zach has been arrested by undercover CIA agents posing as a feminist dog-walking collective and has been taken to a black ops site on an unnamed island somewhere in the Indian Ocean. So, can't do a regular show this week. The good news is we are so committed to bringing you the truth that they don't want you to know that we're actually releasing one of our ultra top secret bonus episodes which would normally only be released to members of our hardcore splinter cell of ufologists and round earth mythbusters that have signed up to our patreon.com forward slash ospol snackpod one dollar a month bonus monthly episode whatever so hopefully by next week maybe the week after we'll have busted zach out of that black ops prison off the island Back to safety, back into the recording studio, we'll do a regular episode then. I hope your minds are absolutely blown by the truth that they don't want you to know this week. And I have a little bit of advice for you. Don't trust anyone. Keep watching the skies and listen to the very end. Shoutouts to the ASIO agents who uh, have my phone tapped and crunch crunch. Hey everyone, and welcome back to this month's bonus episode, or l- last month's bonus episode, as the case may be. Uh, you know what it is. It's the monthly-ish bonus episode you get for giving us your hard-earned cash. So thank you so much for s- supporting us on Patreon. And uh, we have a, a fun one for it. you this month, Yeah, I think. We, we do. I think it should be pretty fun. We take suggestions for our bonus episodes from our $6.90, nice, and up patrons this month we got a suggestion from cool guy 69 nice who said i would love another quick round old ozpol conspiracies not the new QAnon ones which is good because we've already done QAnon ones and mm-hmm. they're, they're sort of played out aren't they i feel yeah. like their time has largely passed i mean you know there's another american election coming up soon for some reason but uh um <laughs> you know we'll see uh, not to mention the Tasmanian upper house election for like two Senate seats. That's really going to be week, the clincher in the global is... QAnon conspiracy movement. Exactly. Uh, we even took it to we ma- we even made it extra memey to yeah, make it right. a little bit more snack potty. You, you found a quality uh, post from at John McGowan on Twitter, uh, which I think yeah, it was actually initially posted into Ospol shit posting like two years ago, right? By friend of the show Leah, host of Loud Angry Not Sorry. Shoutouts, right? Yeah. Gotcha. And because Facebook was fucky recently, uh, old posts being throwing up, up old posts. This one yeah. showed up, and it's the classic iceberg tier meme, um, where like the top tier above the surface is like entry level shit, and then as you get down. Further, it's like more danker and deep cuts uh, yeah. of various sorts. So John McGowan says in this tweet, 
finish my definitive Australian conspiracy iceberg. Before you ask, they are all real. Um, so the top level, uh, which is the sky above the iceberg, uh, is accompanied by a picture of David Spears. Um, very normy guy. Yep. Below him, the next level, which is the above the surface iceberg, is Ben Fordham, who, if you don't know, is a fuckhead conservative radio host. Then uh, all of the other levels of vi- uh, <laughs> are Pete Evans of varying Very... degrees of cookness. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. So my suggestion is, well, I saw this meme and I was like, this is great. We can take our Ozpol conspiracies from this meme. And what I suggested to Noon was that we pick out conspiracies from this iceberg meme for each other to talk about that sounded curious. Yeah. And we would choose them from like, we'd each give each other one suggestion of like varying levels of cookness. So one from the top three, one from the middle three, and one from the bottom four layers <laughs> where you start to get down into some really deep, dark conspiracy waters. Yeah. At the, at those where, where Pete Evans starts to just kind of like fade into uh, just pure conspiracy noise. That's right. And so uh, we also had, you know, there were a number of really interesting sounding ones here. Some of them were pretty like self-explanatory Victorian belt on road. Sure. Uh, (laughs) Tasmanian tiger sightings sound, you know, it sort of explains itself. Um, But there were, you know, we had a short list of ones. Um, Should we go through some of the The short list first? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Well, well, let's do them level by level. So we'll start. We'll start off with levels one to three, the top three levels of conspiracies, and this entry is stuff level that like conspiracy and stuff. fairly entry level, you know, stuff that you know will have a Wikipedia article about it. Right. Uh, you get down to the lower levels, <laughs> you do not have a Wikipedia article about hills hoist over the horizon radar network, for example, <laughs> or esoteric Lathamism. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the runners-up for this, for levels one to three, were Mr. Cruel. No idea. No fucking clue. Sounded interesting. Um, probably would have been pretty hard to Google. Uh, maybe not. Maybe you know about it. Let us know. And the other one was Mossad passport forgeries, which Noon seems to have a vague memory of. Yeah, I think some Australian tourists went to Israel... They were like, uh, look, your passports, they're coming up not right. We're going to have to confiscate them while you stay overnight in our, like, you know, holding cell mm. overnight. Some key piece of infrastructure was destroyed in a nearby Arab nation while seven Australian tourists were there. And then they, they <laughs> returned back to Israel or, you know, like their passports. <laughs> were Something along those lines. Can't remember the details, but yeah. Well, didn't make the cut. But, Noon, what did make the cut? And our first conspiracy <laughs> from levels one to three of the John McGowan Ozpol conspiracy iceberg yep. is RAAF, Min Min Lights Investigation. Right. Please so, enlighten Zach, us. You picked this one for me, and I had no clue what it was. But the no, Min Min But lights... it was a gimme for you because it's clearly a UFO thing. Well, and I know that you're a huge UFO head. Interesting. Oh, oh interesting. Okay. You should say that. There's, there's. Twist it's not the not UFOs. Let's be real. It's not not UFOs. But um, <laughs> Min Min lights are sort of like will o' wisps, uh, or uh, J- Jacka lanterns are based Jack-lanterns? on them. Like okay, they're like marsh swamps in like 
England and stuff, people will be like out hiking and a glowing uh, light will appear and kind of be like, um, okay, and kind of ghostly. Yeah, just like a light ball or whatever. And there's lots of different theories yeah. about what it is. Um, so the Min Min lights are a specific Australian one. Um, they're associated mostly with the town of Bullia in rural Queensland, uh, which mm-hmm. has a Min Min lights museum. Um, but there are reports of seeing them as far as the Kimberley, uh, like on the other side of the continent. And I forgot to ask you to clip this, but there's a song ab- about them that I feel like explains it pretty well. Uh, that's really funny because I've got a song for my next That's that's great. Well, that's <laughs> the entry conspiracy as well. Oops, that's the entry level uh, conspiracy. Yeah, there'll, I mean, there'll be songs, songs about it. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, do you want to um, put on this uh, banger real quick? Have you ever heard the story of the Queensland Min Min Light? Heard the old folk tell in whispers how it beckons through the night? How your horse will rear in terror and your dog will howl in fright? For there's something mighty here in that dancing Min Min Light. Okay, okay. I got the picture. Yeah, fucking Slim Dusty, I tell you what, the man can write a stanza. Or twenty, as the you know, or yeah. fifty, as the case may be. Yeah, exactly. This yeah. is a, an unusually short Slim Dusty song. I, I, I can only assume that there's a longer version that he plays, <laughs> like at performances or like round the campfire at <laughs> yeah, night or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, <clears throat> so, so consider my appetite sufficiently whetted by Slim. Yeah. So they behave strangely. They change color. They'll rush towards people or like run beguilingly away, and if people follow them long enough, they disappear. Well, of course they. Were you going to go following a strange light? A min min light? light? Absolutely not. Come on, yeah, but people recipe do, for milk cartons, bro. Listen, listen to the song. Um, but Dr. Curtis Roman is a former professor of Australian Aboriginal Studies and Anthropology at the Charles Darwin University. And he studied the Minmin lights, and he went to ask traditional owners about them and found it pretty inconclusive. Um, so some of the people <laughs> I told... <laughs> what can I say, man? I, I'm just reporting the facts. I don't make this stuff up. If it's inconclusive, I say it's inconclusive. You know. <laughs> um, he, so he said this. Some of the people I talked to thought they were part of the landscape. They were alive and part of the land, and they moved people along areas of land quickly in order to look after it. Often they were describing huh. two lights that moved in unison together, so at night they appeared as eyes. They moved as eyes would at night, and they moved in sort of snake-like movements. They would be able to go forwards and backwards and lift up and down. Min-min lights were seen in the vicinity of where water is, or where water once was. Because of the connection to water, some people that I spoke to were of the view that they was, this was a rainbow serpent. And that rainbow serpent was moving people along, scaring people, and letting people know it was still there. And then um, from a different article, there were some other First Nations accounts. Uh, it's unclear when the oral traditions of Indigenous Australians began referencing eerie lights. Mavis Malbunka, an elder in the Arente group from Central Australia, associates their cosmological traditions with the phenomenon and also told of her own encounter. For the Arente, the morning star and the evening star are the father and mother of a child that fell to earth from the Milky Way. The mother is in search of her child, comes to earth in the form of the big lights or men-men lights. Um, that's kind and of a, it's a bit melancholy, but that's quite a nice yeah explanation. I mean, you know, as a story. And 
other people say that they increased after indigenous Australians began dying during fatal conflict with Europeans. The lights, people said, were vengeful spirits that could not rest just uh, because they needed justice for their murders. For the indigenous people, such spirits were frightening and could take a human's life. Hmm. So that's the traditional owner sort of perspective. There's a few different mm-hmm. explanations of what it is. Some people say that it didn't ha- happen or that it's not really like a long tradition and that's mostly associated with westerners but unclear as with all of this stuff um yes. so yeah it seems like the best scientific be explanation uh with uh, like you know western science explanation is that basically having areas of different temperatures can cause light to travel much further so that someone having a fire like a thousand kilometers away can be refracted sort of like off yeah. the sky almost so that it appears very close to you but that's just kind of like a best guess um okay. with like will-o'-wisps or whatever um the best guess is like marsh gas or whatever but this happens in like <laughs> big open plains not yeah, marshes right. um and possible that it increased with western colonization because there was like more stuff producing light that then got bounced off the same yeah, okay. air or whatever yeah so that's the min min lights bit relatively straightforward as far as this goes some weird lights as for the say, rwaf investigation please i was promised air force investigation action here proper x-files shit so bring between, us up to speed between 1980 and 1996 the rwaf had an officer named Senior Flight Lieutenant Brett Biddington, who is basically the single Australian government agent in charge of ufology, or ufology, if you're okay. a, a So he's an Australian scully and Mulder rolled into one big Biddington package. Yeah, and so for decades and decades, like before 1980 as well, the RAAF was like the official government contact point for like, uh, I didn't write it down, UAS's, Unidentified Aerial... Uh, Signs phenomena, phenomena, Sh- yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not UFOs. That would be silly. Um, no. but like, obviously, they were worried about like R- Russia or 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 China or something. Um, so they like actually wanted to take reports. Um, mm. and then in 1996, once the Cold War is like concluded, um, he again he was solely in charge of this decision apparently, but he announced a policy that the RWF would no longer be accepting reports of UFOs and that instead uh, they would, uh, quote, direct them to a civilian organization. Um, he seemed to be mostly focused on mass sightings of UFOs around Ballarat. There was nothing specific I could find about him investigating Min Min's um, <laughs> uh, or even going to an army base that happened to be near the place that Min Min's are famous for. Uh I read a bunch of great old photocopied redacted documents and got very little for my trouble, as is usually (laughs) the case uh, in in this kind of business, as far as I can tell. Uh, But I, I did find one thing, which a ufologist interviewed him in 2013, and it was sort of impressively the most boring and least suspicious UFO related like defense <laughs> officer investigation. Uh, sorry, I- interview I've ever seen. It was like, was there a particular reason the RAAF uh, was investigating? No. Did you find anything interesting? <laughs> no. Why did the program stop? 
uh, budget cuts and it was pointless. Did you destroy <laughs> any documents? No, because I thought someone like you might want to look at the archives. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, couldn't find well, a specific... case pretty uh, much fucking closed. Yeah, this guy <laughs> probably got a bunch of people submitting stuff about um, Min Min Lights. And I, I found a lot of, uh, again, old, like, scanned photocopies of newsletters from like three competing Australian ufology groups that were mm. like competing for the title all of or two of which at least um had extensive contact with this guy Brett Biddington um and like variously you know they accused each other of like taking bribes from him or like, uh, which is apparently a common thing with like American and British ufologists. They're like, you're in the pocket of the CIA. Um, well, we're the only ones to tell the truth. It sounds like a pretty would be a pretty common thing for most ufologists. <laughs> yeah, to to assume. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, the whole thing about directing them to a civilian organization is like kind of funny about that because like he would have been like, uh, yeah, call one of these guys, and then they would have like been I don't know. <laughs> competing for his referrals or whatever but right that's funny yeah um, um and in those newsletters there was regular mentions of the min min lights uh but that was as close as i could come it was like two degrees of separation okay um, so you can't couldn't even confirm that there was an active rwaf min min lights investigation the cover-up runs that deep okay so and it's one of those so the fact that there was an investigation at all is the conspiracy in this case. I guess, like, like I could again, could, like couldn't find anything other than this tweet for that, um, which again was a bit of a theme. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are some some like admitted, guaranteed bullshit ones right. in the meme. Like the guys, like yeah, a couple of them are just some shit I made up. But most of them, <laughs> there were also them a are like real conspiracies, spelling errors, um, which That's made it a pretty good segue. Yeah. Okay. Yes. True. Yeah. So, what is the next? Uh, what What did you, I pick for you, Zach? You picked for me what was written in the meme. Talman should, uh-huh. as in T A L M A N, which I think you thought sounded kind of a bit Hebrew, and, and which intrigued Semitic. you. Semitic. Yeah. 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 So that's a misspelling of tamam should, which it's also it's not not Semitic sounding. No, no. Well, it's Persian, uh, and, and we'll come <clears> we'll <throat> come to that. A Semitic language, I think it might be. Oh, well, there you go. Um, since I, I wasn't going to play my song until a bit later, but um, since you played your song at the top of your segment, great. Uh, I'll play the top of my. So yeah, this is my level one to three conspiracy. Tamam should. Uh, commonly misspelt as Taman Should, which is the name of this song by Melbourne band <laughs> The Drones. Great. Son, son, my heart pumping blood. Whenever someone talks about my time and shut, he's gone and no one even cares at all. The earth won't answer and the sea don't mourn. I don't give a fuck about no insaccharine. I don't care, you got it interest free. I'm sorry. 
So, I, I'm not great at picking out lyrics, but uh, he was murdered by Julia Gillard as something to do with a carbon tax? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, <laughs> you've nailed that down. Uh, good tune. Go and listen to the song. Look up the lyrics if you can't understand them. Time Up Should is a.k.a. The Mystery of the Summerton Man. And now we're up at the, here at this level where it's like, I've heard of the Mystery of the Summerton Man as a phrase. Sure. I don't know any, didn't I know anything have. about the case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's like a, it's a dead body mystery. It's this guy yep. there was, was found dead. One, uh, the, uh, the man on the crucifix, which I looked up and it seems like pretty right. straightforward actually. But anyway, yeah, sorry, please go on. Yeah. Um, well, this is a fairly, it's it, it, like, it, it's a real classic conspiracy. Uh, it's a well-known one, you sure. know, like it's based on events that actually definitely did happen, but uh-huh. it's just like, What's how up did with this that? guy die essentially? Yeah. And who was he? So this guy was found dead on Somerton Park beach, uh, which is near Adelaide um, in December, 1948. He it, to this day is still, uh, hasn't been formally identified. Um, and, uh, where Tamam Should comes into it, uh, we'll get to later in the story. Uh, but this anonymous dead guy is known as the Somerton Park Man, so Somerton Man. Uh, so, yeah, he was found lying on, on the beach, kind of, or, or like sli- sitting up basically like against the seawall with his legs crossed, with like a half-smoked cigarette sitting on his collar. Looked very much like he'd just peacefully passed away in his sleep. Um, and had some real good classic mystery style clues in his pockets, an unused train ticket and bus ticket, a half packet of gum, a cigarette packet containing cigarettes that were of a different brand than the brand on the packet. Yeah, okay. That's spicy. Hello. (laughs) Uh, Spicy is still... No identification on him, and all the tags on his clothing had been cut off. Mm-hmm. If you really want to get into the weeds on this, there's like there's people who have actually written about how this was a super common thing to do in the 40s because it was much more common to buy secondhand clothes and people would write their name on the tags, so you would cut right. them off when you buy them off. Anyway, not important. So yeah, the cops couldn't identify the guy. Well, it sounds the like it could be important, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's you know, that's, I'm just that's this is the tip of the iceberg. You're never so gonna. Speak you know, become truly pilled. Um, and, you know, you're all the better for it. But please go on. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> so I was like, isn't this? I was like, I've just, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> but they're of a different brand. It's like, yeah, he's too up or something. Who gives a shit? He's... <laughs> no, no, it's very important. Um, yeah, the cops couldn't identify him. The coroner couldn't determine his cause of death. Theorized that there was some undetectable poison involved. Sure. Here's yeah. a line from the Wikipedia. The the extensive. The yeah. <laughs> Here's a line from the extensive Wikipedia article on this, which, you know, again, mm. levels one to three. The autopsy also showed that the man's last meal was a pasty, eaten three to four hours before death. Although poisoning remained a prime suspicion, the pasty was not believed to be the source, so <laughs> case closed on that one. <laughs> Pasty's not um, significant. We could just, like... <sighs> Rule that yeah. one right out. Scrub then, the pasty from your mind. Six episodes from now. Yeah. Wait a minute. What if the cardamom <laughs> in the pasty set off the latent plutonium? The taste of the- okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. These days, the most commonly accepted theory is that it was Digitalis that killed sure. him. You, Fox Club. Yeah. There's yeah. exactly. Uh, to which there are references in 
Tom and Shoot by the Drones. So here's um, a, a quote from a 1949 article from the Adelaide newspaper, which is just an Adelaide newspaper, which is just called News. Straight to the point. Yep. Police may have been ready to accept the possibility that the man had dropped dead from a heart attack, but for the missing name tags. The effort to destroy means of identification is a known suicidal tendency. So the cops uh, thought this guy killed himself because he had no tags on his clothes. seems like wrong. It seems no like idea. it's, yeah, it's, it's way a bit more of a likely that they'd be cut off to prevent finding out who he is. I guess maybe if it was like shameful to suicide and didn't want to be like... This is why you'll never be... A 1940s Australian Bobby. <laughs> yeah. No, because you're thinking about this all wrong. There were apparently also the fact that he was clean shaven led them to believe that is suspicious. That he, that he had Highly killed himself, suspicious. Which, so I, look, no, again, the cops in this case completely puts, backwards. But sorry, go on. I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. I, spoiler: the cops in this case are not going to be helpful. Well, no um, shit, man. They just wait until we get to my next one. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit, okay. I am waiting. Uh on the 14th of January 1949, this is 6 weeks after the body was discovered, a suitcase was found at Adelaide railway station oh, in a cloak in the cloakroom. It had been checked in the day before the body had been discovered. Oh shit. Here's Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Conspiracy t it's you know clues clues clues. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a a quote from the Adelaide Advertiser from 1949. Articles found in the suitcase were a red checked dressing gown, a pair of red slippers, pajamas, shaving gear, an electrician's screwdriver, a stenciling brush, and a table knife which had been cut down into a short and sharp instrument. Huh. Um, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, think about that. Again, That's exactly all the tags... what I thought would turn out. <laughs> Be... Yeah, totally. Uh, a homemade shiv. Um... Again, all the tags on the clothes in the case had been removed except for a tie, which had the name T. Keen on it, and a singlet with Keen written on it, but spelled differently. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And they, like, did some searches, you know, like the US, the UK, records, and in Australia, and, like, no one called T. Keen had been reported missing in, like, any English-speaking country, basically. Um, so, yeah. But the, the you know they're stumped. About six months later, there's an inquest into Summerton Man's death. Uh, it found basically nothing conclusive. Didn't determine his cause of death. The coroner was like, "This guy has to have died elsewhere and been moved here." But there were a bunch of witnesses who said that they saw the guy sitting in the same spot like the previous evening, and were like, "I saw him sitting there and I saw him move his arm, and then he was dead there the next morning." <laughs> you know. A lot, of, a lot of bullshit. Anyway, they took a plastic cast of his head and shoulders. I noticed he balanced a cigarette on his shoulder. It seemed <laughs> highly relevant at the time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, here's where it gets good. Okay. This, oh, and so shit. This is, this is this got is a, good yet. I'm hooked, man. This is, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, Our so we're, we're now series. six months after he's been found. The inquest into his death has just happened. And now... A piece of rolled up paper, which was missed before, was found in one of the guy's pockets. Um, in, a, in fact, what? in his fob pocket. Okay. Is, so it's like, That's you know, a enough. secondary... Yeah, just, you know. A mini secondary pocket. Like you have that annoying one on your jeans. 
I, I know, you know about nothing. fob pockets, Zach. Yeah. As, whenever I put on a waistcoat, my first move <laughs> is to check, A, if there are any fob pockets, and B, <laughs> is there anything in them that I sh- like has been sitting there since the last time I wore this? Um, well, it's a shame that you g- weren't on hand. That's what we keep discovering at every turn. But In 1949, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, Noon, can you guess... What was written on this piece of paper that was found rolled up in Summerton Man's I think I can, but it's unfair because if I was a detective at the time, I wouldn't have guessed that it said, Tamam should. Uh, Totally incorrect. It's (laughs) Tamam should. Um, Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Tamam should is a Persian phrase uh, which basically translates to is finished or is over. Um, okay. Tamam, I think, means like finished and should makes it like a past tense sure. thing. So it's, you know, finished in the past. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cops figured out it's the last words from a book of poetry, the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. Oh, or Khayyam. Yeah. Khayyam. Yeah. Uh, Khayyam is a. The, one of the authors of the Principia Discordia named himself Omar Khayyam. Ravenhurst, I believe, but anyway, it's... way to just you know take the words right out of my mouth, noon. But um, <laughs> he's a 12th century Persian mathematician to whom poems are commonly misattributed. Right, basically. right, yeah, um, yeah. Classic. He's, I think, he's best remembered for like super accurately. Like he had a system. He had, he, he invented some kind of calendar, and at one point he had like projected that um, a few years in the future the year would last for exactly like three hundred and sixty five point two four one days or some shit like that. Nice. Before that's, that, that's anybody how you was doing your shit as like a uh, elite nerd <laughs> prior to like fifteen hundred was just being like, yes, the moon will be full six days from now. precisely um so that was more his thing not really poetry but apparently it's kind of a thing to like write poems and pretend and just like be like yeah Yeah. publish them under this guy's name for some reason so the actual copy of the book the rubayat of omar khayyam that this page was torn from was found it was turned in by um an unknown businessman who said that it had been thrown into the open window of his car and he found it, like, under the back seat. It's just a 100% chance he heard about it, tore it out, and gave it to them. No, it's like... It's been, this, is, this is fact. This is confirmed. <laughs> okay, all right, all they right. Used, I believe you. Uh, that, yeah. They used microscopic techniques. Wow. That's to a match, good type of technique. To match yeah, it, yeah. yeah. Inside the back cover of this book were indentations from, like, someone had put a piece of paper on top of it, like, inside the back cover, written on it, and then take it away, you know, kind of like in The Big Lebowski and Jackie Treehorn and The the Big Dick. Great scene. Um, (laughs) So the cops do The Big Lebowski thing, and it's not a guy with a huge dick underneath. It's five lines of handwritten text, which, as you can guess, is gibberish, but they pretty clearly look like a code. One, like, it's a bunch of random letters. One line has been, like, crossed out and worked out again. Looks very much like somebody solving a cipher or something. This code has never been solved. There's not that many letters, so it's like basically, you know, what do you call code breakers? Like cryptographers? Sure, yeah. Yeah, there's not enough symbols, they say, to provide a clear meaning. And also, it could just be a bunch of bullshit. A bunch of bullshit, yeah. 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 Also in the book was found the phone number of a nurse 
called Jessica Thompson. She lived about 400 meters from where the body was found. And when she was interviewed, she said she had no idea who the guy was. But there's <laughs> oh, like, you know, ev- yeah. there's all these like, you know, people ba- basically being like, she was weird. She was weird about it. When she spoke to the cop, she was weird. When she saw the body, she was weird. Yeah. And Seeing like later bodies, on. Normally I'm totally chill and totally reg- normal. Regular. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like all these accounts, like she looked at the body, said, I don't know the guy and then refused to look at him again. It's like, oh, that's so suspicious. Well, maybe she just doesn't want to keep looking at this corpse. Like, yeah. Um. <laughs> And I'll get into it later, but there's, like, you know, further speculation. It's slightly more, like, substantial speculation that she knew more than she was letting on, but we'll come back to that. So, Jessica Thompson, this nurse, she said that she did once own a copy of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam while she was working at a hospital in Sydney during World War II. Interesting. She says that she gave that copy to an Australian Army lieutenant called Alf Boxall. Of course. Yeah. Yep. Um, I swear I'm not going to introduce too many more characters after (laughs) this. Okay, yeah. This is an elaborate web. Yeah. Boxall is a guy, he worked in Army Intelligence. He says that he never talked to Thompson about this, that they basically, it seems like they had a couple of dates. She gives him this book. She moves to Adelaide. They exchanged like one or two letters and then have no more communication. So when cops found out about this, they thought that the dead guy might have been Boxall, but then he was found alive and well, and he still had his copy of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. Um, totally different copy. And it, it was intact. Like Tamam Shud was still written in the back. Right. And did it have her name like written in it? Do you know uh, off the top of your head? No, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what it would signify either way, but like, you know. Oh, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just some shit, you know. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um... <laughs> so, Noon. Yeah. <clears throat> given everything you know now about the Summerton Man. Yeah. The Tamam Should case. Yeah. Got any theories? Who's this guy? No, I, 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 got, I got nothing, but I'm, I'm going to guess he did, in fact, die of a heart attack, and that the main issue here was the coroner being like, he had to be moved. And then after that, everything else just, like, is completely inconsequential bullshit. And, like, you know... It's extremely easy to look at this collection of facts and be like, this is a bunch of nonsense that means nothing. Um, But you're not thinking like a conspiracy theorist. If it was a conspiracy... I would say he was involved in some kind of arms smuggling operation and uh, it went wrong in some way and uh, as a result he either was killed or suicided um, to avoid, you know. Yeah, Uh, look, I mean, that's not too far off what the main theory is but you know of course time period world war ii's just ended cold war's getting into the swing of it the main theory is of course course, the summerton man was a spy right you know unidentifiable body that does explain the cigarettes yeah exactly um (laughs) spies love to puff (laughs) Uh, cigarettes yeah (laughs) yeah uh and, and switch the little brands around to throw people off the scent um yeah so there's look (laughs) 
not a whole lot of source to this theory. People are like, well, he could have been trying to get information about the Woomera test range, which was near Adelaide. <laughs> sure. Um, he which, could uh, have been. <laughs> yes, he well, might well could have been, which was a British-Australian mi- military research facility where uh, the British were testing a new missile system called the Blue Streak, which was apparently... Uh, a liquid propelled missile to deliver nuclear warheads, which um, right. I don't know. It's just very funny. They they called it Blue Street because like it's just like a big water gun, basically with a <laughs> a nuke on the end. I'm guessing. Anyway, that's the main theory. Jessica Thompson's daughter gave an interview to 60 Minutes in 2013, and she says that her mum did know who Summerton Man was, and she reckons this is the daughter. That they were both spies. That both Jessica huh. Thompson and Summerton Man were spies. Wow. As evidence, she tenders the fact that her mum was into communism and could speak Russian and never, like, revealed where she learned it. Yeah, um, I mean... Which, you know, does add a certain, you know, sleeper agent energy... Totally. Yeah. ...to her vibe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There was, like, a big investigation... Like, we're starting from scratch. We're going pure science. Uh, <laughs> Great. In 2009, conducted by a team from the University of Adelaide. And they found that Jessica Thompson's son had two quite rare genetic traits Ooh. that they reckon are shared by the Summerton man. Right. Something about weird ear canals and his incisors are big or something. Of and course. they were like, it's extremely unlikely. Like, it would be an enormous coincidence for this kid to have both of these things, you know, and the Summerton Man also has both of these things. So their, their theory is that... that um the father. Yeah, that Jessica Thompson had a kid with Summerton Man. This has not been proven. And then also the head researcher from this University <laughs> of Adelaide team married Jessica Thompson's granddaughter. Oh. So they have like That's a portrait of the Summerton man hanging in their house. Is shit. And apparently they quote unquote consider him family. Um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> the Summerton man's body was exhumed last year. Um the result so Wait, they're going to do some happened 1949? Yes. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> yeah. People uh, really give fucks about things, huh? Oh, actually no 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 no. Uh, maybe it's not... Is it Summerton Man's body or was it his son's body? The uh, one that had the shared features. Yeah. And it's like that guy's kid who the researcher married and she's like, yeah, Summerton Man was my granddad. Like, that's what I reckon. Um, so they basically... Look, they're waiting to find... To get the results from DNA matching about this. Um, it's, you know, inconclusive thus far. But yeah, basically their theory Still is like the Summerton Man wow. came back to Jessica Thompson after she found out after he found out that she was pregnant, and then she rejected him, and then he died by suicide. That's their theory. Um, yeah, so that's like I don't know. You know, he was he a spy or was he a jilted lover? Was he both? Um, who knows? The classic jilted spy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Spies love getting jilted almost as much as they love switching out the brands of cigarettes in their little in <laughs> that their little classic packets. trope that we're all familiar with. Yeah. Spies love dying apparently in their sleep from natural causes on the beach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So that's cool. Summerton Man. That's my level one to three. Great. Well, thanks for taking us through the case of Tamam Should 
Zach, or the, the, the Sumpton man. Fascinating stuff. I enjoyed it immensely. You're welcome. Next, we're Some getting... people think he was killed by the CIA. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Obviously, you barely needed to. There's no honestly. proof. Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. That, yeah. That's how you know. That's the fingerprint. It's yeah, like exactly. ideology, man. All right, so, but it's, speaking of confusing bullshit, we're getting into the next, like, the middle third, the submarine, um, but not yet fully cooked zone. That's right. Levels uh, four to six. Here we go. Well, we've got some runners up as well here. So the first one, Canberra layout is Masonic symbolism. I don't think that's a conspiracy. That's just it just that's a fact. Who's going to dispute that? Right. Uh, Lee yeah. Sales and Annabelle Crab are the same person. <laughs> that one interests me. If any listeners want to send in a little bonus potluck, uh, have you ever seen Lee Sales out? on kitchen cabinet? That's no, a really I good so. point. That's a really good point. Yeah. And finally, Port Arthur was ghosts. Which uh, seemed like too sort of upsetting to do, but it also oh, well, kind of funny that it was on there. <laughs> you don't want upsetting. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> my level yeah, but two see, conspiracy this thing... that you picked for me. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, the one I picked for you, but just, this clearly didn't happen, though. Well, um, it's definitely overcooked. So it's... It's titled Bielke Peterson Death Camps. But <laughs> as far as I could tell, again, the stuff doesn't really come up when you Google it, but I found one conspiracy about one massacre um, that sort of happened in a place um, under Joe Bielke Peterson. So he okay. was... Yeah, Joe Bielke Peterson, the other JBP, was Premier of Queensland from 1968 to 1987 and is often considered one of the biggest bastards in Australian political history. Check out the upcoming Ozpol shitposting worst person in Ozpol bracket. Um, he's extremely conservative. He encouraged police violence against protesters, criminalized union activity, uh, staunch anti-communist and extremely corrupt. From Wikipedia. Yeah. Two of his state ministers, as well as the police commissioner Bielke Peterson had appointed and later knighted, were jailed for corruption offences. And in 1991, Bielke Peterson too was tried for perjury over his evidence to the Royal Commission. The jury failed to reach a verdict as the jury foreman was a member of the Young Nationals, and Bielke Peterson was deemed too old to face a second trial. Oh, wow, yeah. But the previous premier was a guy named Jack Pizzi, who was a former school teacher who had been the education and police minister before. The previous guy resigned. Jack Pizzi took over, and then six months later, he died from a heart attack. But early in that year, so like on April 14th, about halfway through his premiership, there was a break-in to the home and the offices of a country party member who was the Speaker of the House, a guy called David Nicholson, who was an army guy, and this is not relevant at all, or is it? Um, but before he was in politics, he was a motorcycle stunt man, um, which is a weird <laughs> thing for what seems like an ultra conservative, like chronic fascist. So again, from now hold on, here, I, let me handle yeah. this one. Dude. Sounds like he had plenty of experiences doing backflips. Heyo. Um, well, he wouldn't have allowed that kind of shit. So here's Wikipedia again. <laughs> As speaker, he would not tolerate any talking in the chamber and would tell the guilty parties if they wanted to continue talking, they'd do it out in the corridors. Nor would he allow a member to read from a prepared speech in the parliament. The only people allowed <laughs> to read from a speech were ministers when reading a bill. He would watch carefully when any member was giving a speech to make sure they weren't reading. 
another rule. Is that a thing? I've never heard of that. Like, that but counts as a prop. Remember, Get that fucking shit out of here. You won't be. You used to have to wear a hat. It was compulsory hats in Parliament, bro. Like I've got no clue. These but days, you wear a hat in Parliament. They'll throw you in jail. Right, fucking out. <laughs> Hit you with that big mace. This one more sensible. Another rule Nicholson enforced was repetitious speeches. He listened intently to each debate, making it impossible for speaker after speaker to rise and say the same thing. If there was any, if there was that some attempt at repetition, Sir David, thanks Wikipedia, would point out that if the speaker had nothing new to add to the debate, he or she should simply sit down. It well, seems I agree with his sh- politicians shutting the fuck up policy. Yes, that's true. Yeah, but my point is uh, vindictive asshole. Uh, yes, that's yeah. yeah. So, um, and according to an academic, Tracy Arkinson, it seems Nicholson was quote enraged to the point of incoherence about this break-in and demanded Pizzy, who is the Premier, do something about it. Okay. And the police had identified three possible suspects who, again, this was a mind-blowing thing that I discovered while doing research for this. So, there were three possible suspects who were also members of the Communist Party of Australia who'd been trained at the Minto Communist Training School. Have you ever heard of the Minto Communist Training School, Zach? Uh, well, again, of course not, but that in itself is the smoking gun. Highly suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, there is actually, again, there's a Wikipedia article on this. Located in Minto, New South Wales, the camp operated under the front of the, quote, Bush Lovers Club. <laughs> Shit, man. My dad might have gone there. That's very funny. I'm going to have to ask him about that. The camp initially attracted controversy on the tail of a second Red Scare wave, being described as a, quote, brainwashing institution by the national president of the RSL, which is weird, and Uh, connected to various industrial agitations. And so there were these three members of the Bush Lovers Club who were collected by the Queensland police, seemingly under the direct instruction of Jack Pizzi, and they were taken to a former police station near Tambo in central Queensland for interviews and so this academic uh interviewed a woman named Catherine McFarlane who was the mother of one of the activists who said that he quote disappeared for nearly six weeks wow what the fuck yeah she reported him missing to the police several times but they ignored her and eventually he came back with like bruises and shit but refused to go to hospital and died of what was a suspected heroin overdose a couple of months later oh jesus christ yeah, and so a few months later, Pizzy dies of a heart attack, and Joe Bielke-Peterson is Premier. Again, from Wiki, in 1967, the Queensland Premier was Joe Bielke-Peterson, a Kingaroy peanut farmer with no understanding... Sorry, this no, this can't have been from Wiki. I've got the wrong attribution there. Um, this was a, a, a crackpot article that I found somewhere. I've written the wrong thing. In 1967, the Queensland Premier was Joe Bielke-Peterson, a Kangaroo peanut farmer with no understanding of the Westminster parliamentary system of separation of powers, which is a sick burn. But at the same time, the Queensland police culture was distinct with its own special branch. On the 8th of September 1967, a massive illegal march protesting involvement in the Vietnam War occurred after Queensland University students were refused a permit to march. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a big famous thing. As many as 4,000 students marched from the University of Queensland into the city. Uh, there were a bunch of arrests, huge amount of police violence. This is all fully real documented. Yes, this but is actual, yeah. According to the Communist Party... Queensland, Communist Party of Australia, Queensland branch newsletter, 14 people who had been arrested on that day hadn't been seen since. I haven't written down what date that article is from, but they said that the CPA had contacted police to ask what happened, but told that the cops didn't have any record of them. Terrifying shit. 
but also I imagine that that happened to communists all the time, even about like non three quarters of the way down thing. But yeah, anyway, yeah. the theory is that these 14 people were taken to Tambo and killed there. Um, but again, that claim was exclusive, as far as I could tell, reported by Queensland Communist Party newspapers. I found a couple from the next couple of months and then one a few years later when more Bielke Peterson scandals were coming up. Um, mm. They were like, blah, blah, blah. But according to an ABC article from 1995, quote, there's no record of any buildings owned or leased by the Queensland police in the Tambo region until 1991, because apparently Tambo is bumfuck nowhere, a.k.a. Perfect the place. perfect place. For a, not quite a death camp. It, yeah, for yeah. One. I mean, look, the Queensland <clears throat> police disappearing people for weeks at a time in order to fuck them up and ruin their lives under Joe Bjorgen Peterson is not in any way like stretching credibility, I think. Sure. Yeah. 14 communists getting quietly executed <laughs> you're right it's a little is, more extreme it is a, it's like a step above that but that's what every great conspiracy theory does it ta- it, it dangles the yeah but what if it was 10 percent more fucked or the, in this case quite a bit more fucked but you know <laughs> yeah like 14 times or something yeah, yeah but the abc article also said that the cpa never mentioned the names of any of the people who were missing and they think that it was an attempt for the CPA to get more attention because they were, like, dwindling because the anti-Vietnam War movement was becoming more mainstream. Yeah. And, like, their numbers, like, disappeared. In- guys, guys, yeah. I know the, like, but protesting was super important, but we've got a reading group tonight. Um, and 14 so good people came. are missing, so we're Would trying to get our numbers up. Would you yourself an anti-capitalist? Yeah. Uh, so this is, uh, again... Going? haven't read this anywhere but this is the like conspiracy within the conspiracy that i'm presenting to you the listener (laughs) the joe bielke peterson death camp conspiracy theory was a soviet false flag oh okay there you go little okay noon twist on that one hey you brought it around yeah there you go it's pretty straightforward bielke peterson death camps yeah not exactly bielke peterson not exactly no no, not exactly death camps yeah um like all but a conspiracy, nevertheless. Kinda. Yeah. Kinda. Noon, what did you assign me? Uh, pre-colonization Viking settlements, which is purely because I play too many map games. In other words, you assigned me the conspiracy theory of racism. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Every conspiracy theory is racism, Zach. I mean... This one is especially okay. Bonus you know, it's, racism. Okay, it's really like hopeful racism. You know, hit me so, with it. I'm sorry in advance. Yeah, that's the that's a whole conspiracy. Pre-colonization Viking settlements, and I'm right. gonna jump the gun here a little bit and uh, and just let you know that it's obviously complete fucking bullshit. Sure. they you know, I mean, pre-European colonization Viking settlements in Australia. No, that obviously didn't happen. This appears to have started... Like, this is... so Okay, this is something that has bounced around-ish in kind of similar forms for a while, but most recently, and I think what this... What the, like, iceberg conspiracy meme specifically is referring to uh, is the claim that, uh, that started with a now-deleted article from a site called worldnewsdailyreport.com. Perfect. Whose tagline is <laughs> where facts don't matter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So it, it's kind of like 
a satire? Except it's not really, because okay. it's more like a misinformation site. But um, So they have headlines, many of which are extraordinarily misogynist and racist. Okay, cool. Uh, which I won't repeat here, but some of them include, Donald Trump is addicted to penis enlargement pills, claims his ex-wife. Kenyan judge confirms Obama could technically run for president in 2017 elections. This kind of thing. So they're essentially designed to be like shared on social media Clickbait in order to exactly. And, and they have just the enough banner like, to be like, it's satire, don't yeah, sue us. Right. Exactly. I love um, the model. And you like have to they they put just enough like body text in the article to kind of make, make it you look click through. Yeah, and to make it look uh convincing at first blush. So like the articles themselves aren't like comedy bits. Right. This right. article they published, Australia, archaeologists unearth ruins of Viking Trade Center. Here's the first paragraph. Or, uh, you know, from the beginning of the article, whatever. Archaeologists excavating on the site of some recently discovered ruins on the northern coast of Western Australia may have just made the greatest find in the history of the country. The remains of an 11th century Viking settlement. Scientists associated with the Department of Archaeology of the University of Sydney have unearthed the foundations of three larger buildings which were identified as houses, and two smaller workshops identified as a carpentry, which was also used as a boat repair area, and a smithy containing a forge and iron slag. So it's like not, you know, this no, is... No, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, they, this is all bullshit. There's nothing in the article itself to suggest that this is satire. Right. Like... You know, That's it's not a satirical well. yeah, yeah. article, it's just bullshit. It's just lies. Yeah, yeah. And what is the purpose of this bullshit? I mean, beyond being just like a clickbait title that people can like share, it's that it's the white supremacist fantasy. Right, right. Right. And the comments on this article I think tell you a lot. The top right, top right. comment is just tears of joy and then a very poorly done like at sea crying while happy emoji which is very funny um another comment while in papua new guinea in the 70s one of my sons were treated very well by the natives we came into contact with because of his blue eyes and blonde hair one village wanted to make him an honorary chief when i asked for another man from the sepik area about this i was told the people can remember long time before when blue-haired blonde-eyed people came in boats and it was these people who taught them how to live this is uh. why they want to honor your son my son has grown How since... How to live, quote-unquote. Yes, sure. exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. My white son is treated like a god everywhere he goes in <laughs> Papua New Guinea. Great, uh, great. Yes. That's the energy, right? You know, those are the people that this, like, misinformation bullshit article is speaking Appeals to. Appeals to, yeah. Yeah. I was poking about on the internet trying to look for more mentions outside of this fucked up article shit. yeah yeah i found a, a, a question asked on quora is it true that there is viking settlement remains found in australia many of the responses are just like no lol yeah exactly <laughs> um, but there are also quite a lot of mm, answers <laughs> such Ooh, as that's the ones that all the best conspiracies are built exactly on. there is evidence of viking visits to australia but they weren't norsemen we call them explorers in English, not Vikings. Until the British arrived, none of them stayed long enough to establish a settlement. Not even the Makassans. So, and another one, uh, no settlements, but there is proof of Vikings making it as far as Cairns. So there's like, 
people being no evidence but there's proof i like that yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh that's a separate comment um ah. like but two comments along the same vibe which is like no there weren't settlements remained here but like vikings absolutely visited yeah. yeah exactly so i wanted to investigate this a little bit further it's, and that's 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 a specific thing you could link it, look into right proof of vikings making it as far as cans okay there's something that's tangible claim it's fairly it's fairly concrete um so what i found looking well looking around for this was an older article from 1977 published in psychic australia by a writer named rex gilroy and the title of the article is vikings visited cairns um, <laughs> oh well there you go yeah done um, <laughs> uh there is only one mention of the word cans in this article, and we'll come to that later. Here's uh, a, a few. I've, I've plucked a few quotes here and combi combined them into one big great, paragraph. Great, yeah. So let me read you a little bit from Vikings Visited Cans by Rex Gilroy in Psychic Australia, 1977. Yeah. There is growing evidence to suggest that Norse seafarers sailed Australian waters 700 years before the arrival of Captain Cook. This is an exciting development for those interested in the early history of Australia, for it is one more link in the chain of data, which suggests that mariners from many parts of the ancient world were the true discoverers of our continent. Naturally, some people are going to cry absurd to this position, proposition, <laughs> but anyone who delves into the subject as much as I have will find a surprising large amount of support for this theory. After all, just because the voyages of Cook, Dampier, Hartog, and Tasman are well-documented cases, does not mean that other less well-recorded or unknown mm. journeys into the South Seas did not take place. That's the such absence a good of evidence point, is a is smoking it? gun. Yeah. Take, for example, the mysterious megalithic stone structures near Bathurst, New South Wales. I See will. Psychic Australia in November 1976. Uh, and I also, don't have the your copy 76 editions. <laughs> uh, put them in deep storage, but I'll get them out again. And also the equally enigmatic altar stones on the Blue Mountains, Relics which imply the hitherto unknown existence on this continent of advanced cultures that flourished thousands of years before the comings of European explorers. These, <laughs> yep, uh -huh. these finds alone show that our traditional <laughs> historic teachings are in error. So, I mean, obviously, there's there's a lot of overlap here with a the various different a ancient aliens theories, which are like essentially various iterations of indigenous people are too shit to have done this cool thing that got discovered here. So it clearly so must, it have, must been, have been aliens. In this case, it clearly must have been white Vikings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the like, Rex Gilroy's kind of theory, you know, his links of data, basically he's like, there's proof that Chinese emperors employed Vikings at mercenaries because as mercenaries, because they quote, recognized their fi fighting prowess. And furthermore, that the Chinese had maps which showed the outline of the north of Australia, and so they could have very went well have sent Vikings to dot 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 cans cans yeah. to to just check it out. I guess. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, he offers as proof the discovery of a bronze helmet in Papua New Guinea in 1972, which he says is the most exciting discovery since an Egyptian axe blade was found near Penrith. Uh, which is in New South Wales, in 1969. Um, 
you know, okay. you can't, you could sort of go all day fact checking the various bullshit specific like, bits, but it, that's the best way to get bogged down and then <laughs> caught up in it is you'd be like, well, that's not true. And then you like find one that's not true. Next one that's not true. The third one you're like, okay, so that one it seems is at least unclear. Huh. <laughs> well, the axe okay. head at least connected with something else I read in a different article. There's no other references that I could find to Egyptian axe heads, but this is from an ABC article from a few years ago. Putative ancient Greek axe heads have been explained as naturally occurring rocks. Um, okay. Yeah. Right. So I'm assuming that's the same. <laughs> same situation. <Rocks. laughs> Just got that one covered. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's more kind of pretty gross stuff. Like he offers a bunch of comparisons of like um, thunder gods or thunder spirits from like various indigenous cultures being like, these are all surprisingly similar similar to the Norse thunder god, uh, which is you know thunder actually does happen in places most other than places Norway, yeah, <laughs> Scandinavia, yep. uh, yeah. As I mentioned at the top, there is only one use of the word cans in the article. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> the article is titled <laughs> "Vikings Visit Cans." Right down the bottom, it's like the second last paragraph. A human figure painted by early Aborigines, I'm sorry, in a Cairns shelter is depicted dressed in a horned helmet and garments, reminiscent of the old Norsemen. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah, that's the sum of Rex Gilroy's proof that, <laughs> that Vikings, Vikings were in Cairns. Yeah. Um, so I would say that his analysis, his, his historical analysis is not super robust. Um, Missing a few... You know, a few, a few axe heads yeah. short of a midden. Um, I know I'm mixing my terms, but whatever. Uh, the <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just fucking racism. That's, that's all it is. The conspiracy right, is right. racism. Uh, it's real. <laughs> it's real racism. All right. It's real racism. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So all right. There, there well, you go. That's actually going to be a great lead into the next uh, section, which is going to be our last one. Um, because uh, we're, we're into the dankest, deepest depths of we've left the iceberg behind. Pete Evans, yeah, He's we're in a blurry, red-eyed, all, massive static. Yeah, all the creatures down here have to provide their own light via a weird bulb <laughs> hanging from a stem in their forehead. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know yeah. the fuck I'm talking about. Uh, so these were some of the runners up that came in here. Uh, esoteric Lathamism, which, you know, again, kind of tangentially relevant. Vegemite corpse disposal. <laughs> uh, hills hoist over the horizon radar network. You yep. mentioned that one. Yep. Gold uh, Coast theme park disappearances, um, yep. which was, yeah, intriguing. <laughs> yep. And sentient opals, which again, actually kind of ties into my one. But um, there you have it. Um, <laughs> Zach, I, I assigned one for you. Um... Yes. Lucas Height Portal. Um, now, we have established that some of the conspiracies in the iceberg are admittedly bullshit. We don't know which ones those are. Right. This may be one of those ones I don't know, but the internet turned up almost no references to Lucas Height Portal. The only things that I could find, the only tweet that references a Lucas Height Portal is a quote tweet of the Conspiracy Iceberg, 
which just says Lucas Height Portal and it's an emoji covering its mouth. Um, <laughs> and the only other references I could find to it on the internet were two links to the same question that had been asked on Reddit, which has now been deleted. And the answer to the question were like, well, why don't you tell me? Sounds like you know better than I do. <laughs> and I used the Wayback Machine to like find, find the an archived version where the question hadn't been deleted. That's and the question research. was very research. And the the question was, what is the Lucas Height portal? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty. The, the imagination sparks off very it really quickly. Does. Lucas Height is a suburb in the sort of like it, it's suburban Sydney. It's kind of like to the southwest of the CBD from memory. It's kind of a hilly, leafy suburb, and I'm I think it's Australia's first like nuclear installation was established there. Right, and to, it's, it's a like, research site, and they produce some medical nuclear exactly. Yeah, they do products. nuclear medicine stuff. Yeah, and it is it is occasionally in the news for like. They fucked something up, and now no one can get um, cancer medicine. Right. Um, that happens occasionally. And also... I um, think maybe the chaser, like, broke in there one time as a joke, and then they were uh, like, oh, I think we're about to get shot. Or, like... Yeah, yeah. that wouldn't surprise me. Um, the other hit for it, I think, was... Some... Was, like... Clive Palmer said something like, we should do nuclear power. Just look at Lucas Heights. They've never had an incident there the entire time they've been there. And there's all these articles being like, fact check, Clive Palmer, Lucas Heights. And I was like, right. oh, wow, I'm going to get some juicy portal conspiracy details here. And then <laughs> it was just like, Clive Palmer said some shit. He name checked a, like, a facility that he knows nothing about. Anyway, um, so yeah, I don't sure. know, but listener, if you know anything about the Lucas Height portal. Hit us up. Get yeah, in touch on the D on the DL, but no, yeah. I gave you one as well down yes. here. Eleven levels, level seven to ten, dangerous levels of dankness. Yep, you've got five atmospheres of dankness crushing you in on either side. Yep, and, and your assignment was lightning ridge vril mining. <laughs> yes, so Zach, you know. There's been someone missing from our conversation this evening. Tonight. I've been thinking the same thing. Have you ever heard of a magician, an occultist, and occasional landscape artist named Adolf Hitler? Adolf Hitler? <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> we got there. Full we got circle, there, everybody. <laughs> no uh, conspiracy theory uh, roundup would be complete. <laughs> so, <laughs> So Hitler comes in actually relatively late to this story, um, because Vril with a single L, again this is a Bjelke Peterson was misspelt, Vril was misspelt, which is impressive. Um, so There's only Vril five letters or four. Is like a magic substance that's kind of like chi or prana, okay. okay, and it's also kind of like electricity, but psychic. Okay, so you don't shoot it from your fingertips, you shoot it from your third eye. Yes, or as the case may be, a sort of hollow stuff with like clarinet-like holes on it. Um, oh, interesting. So it is first mentioned in an 1871 novel called Vril, The Power of the Coming Race. Um, oh. <laughs> which I believe is less deeply racist than it sounds. It does sound very open 
to racist interpretation. I mean, I did kind of flag that Hitler slides into this one in the second act, so yeah. Um, uh, but basically, it's uh, like uh, Jenny to the center of the earth kind of thing, slash H.G. Wells' time machine thing. Apparently, this was a genre called like subterranean fiction, early sci fi genre. Mm. This one's called Power of the Coming Race. Some guy finds an underground civilization of people called the Vrilya, who use this magic substance called Vril, which they channel through their staves mm-hmm. with little holes like clarinets. Yep. Uh, and mental techniques, so third eye. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the guy, you know, fucks one of them and then gets in trouble and he escapes. Normal sci-fi shit. Yeah. Warns people that, quote, the coming race will destroy humanity. Is that their plan? Well, it seems more like he's like, I'm concerned about the demographics down there. <laughs> like, they'll run out of housing okay. by the year 2096, and then they'll come for us. Um, so anyway, presumably a bunch of people read this book and thought that it was uh, nonfiction. Correct. Yes. <laughs> uh, very, very quickly it was picked up as an earnest work of occult significance. Uh, the author, it was published anonymously at first, and it was later identified as Edward Bulwer-Lytton, uh, who was a British MP who had also written a novel about the Rosicrucians. Highly suspicious. Wow, okay. Both of those things are suspicious. Yeah. But okay. I, Novelists are very squirrely in my eyes. What are you doing? What do you need that many words for? Here's some famous phrases that he came up with. The Great Unwashed. Pursuit of the Almighty Dollar. Okay, here's a big one. The pen is mightier than the sword. And it was a dark and stormy night. Oh, so fu- this- fuck you. Where's the- where are you getting this, this information? From Wikipedia, my friend. I can uh. open the-, the Wikipedia article on it was a dark and stormy night. The status of the sentence as an archetype for bad writing comes from the first phrase of the opening sentence of English novelist Edward Bulwer-Lytton's 1830 (laughs) novel, Paul Clifford. It was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in torrents, except at occasional intervals, and it was checked by a violent gust of wind. There you go. No shit, my dude. He came up with it was a dark and stormy night. This guy, No, I I believe that he would do that, but then he has another number of other bangers in there. You know, I'm impressed. This he was not fucking around, Big and he Eddie also on his novel shit sort of accidentally caused the Holocaust. <laughs> so his sci-fi novel, as I say, was picked up as a legitimate occult source, especially by Madame Helena Parovna Blavatsky. I forgot her <laughs> middle name, Helena Blavatsky, HPV. Um, <clears throat> are you familiar <laughs> with the writings of Madame Blavatsky, Zach? I haven't brushed up in a minute. Well, Helena, um, HPB, as she liked to be known, she was the founder of Theosophy, uh, which is basically like, uh, what if all of the world's cultures were actually saying that, like, I know everything. Or, or like, it's just, just like, it's kind of like modern New Age stuff. But, like, these guys were seriously into it. So, fan of Theosophy and therefore modern occultism, including the OTO, Alistair Crowley, and Chaos Magic. Uh, just uh, some of the very direct offshoots of her work, if, you know, <laughs> okay. you're into this shit. So, she was a fascinating woman. Um, she was kind of 
magnetically irresistible, horribly unattractive. She was a horse stunt rider um, and uh, possibly asexual. She was a dirty talking, chain cigarette smoking <laughs> and constant hash using professional magician. And she basically okay. spent her entire life trekking around the world talking to dudes in robes and caves and languages that she learned from old books uh and then being like oh, yes atlantis is real um <laughs> basically all of atlantis she's a chiller, comes is from her saying. she's a major figure yeah uh and she is debatably responsible or at least a, a fundamental part of the dna of nazi germany the rise of trump and all alien conspiracies she, she read this book and was like ah oh, yes vril my secret mahatmas have told me that this is a real and true thing um and then theosophy was adopted by a bunch of german secret societies including you know entry-level classic all-stars bavarian illuminati but then also the thor society and the unconfirmed to be actually real i.e most real of all <laughs> the real society um and you are uh, different from the underground society the brilliance they have yeah 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 they're nothing to do with th they yeah they're humans <laughs> then they're, they're not this other race of realia they're just like some guys magic clarinet uh, guys okay they're just magic guys without magic clarinets yep. they're just yeah they're just nerds um but they're also like hardcore german nationalists um and so the thule society which is like definitely a real thing but unclear exactly what it is created the NSDAP, i.e. the Nazi Party, or the forerun to the Nazi Party, and the Anna Nerve, which is a sort of occultist think tank within the SS. Um, Jesus that, fucking Christ. And again, the Anna Nerve is, like, legitimately extremely well documented, and it was basically a pseudo-Viking blood magic occult circle um, who did secret rituals and allegedly tried to make contact with the Vrilya, uh, they definitely did that. So they went to a bunch of places <laughs> looking for the Spear of Destiny that yeah. Longinus stabbed Christ with, the yeah. Holy Grail, and this is the theory, though I don't think this is quite so well recognized by historians, <laughs> the Vrilya. Yeah, gotcha. If you believe it, they did make contact with the Vrilya and exchanged the life force of millions of Jews, as well as other minorities, for a supply of Vril that allowed them to create flying sources leading to, and this is not a joke, a very widespread belief that all modern UFOs are actually controlled by underground Nazis. Again, that's not a joke. That's just like a legitimate thing. Yeah, um, I mean, there's definitely movies about that. Exactly, yeah. I feel yeah, like that's yeah. the plot of Iron Sky, maybe. Or that maybe it was like Nazis went to the moon and now they've come back. That came via Blavatsky from... Yep. A dark and stormy night. Yeah. Yep. So here's a quote from fossilhunters.xyz, uh, a reliable website. <laughs> there have been numbers of people who, over the years since the publication of The Coming Race in 1871, have believed it to be literally true the description of an actual race of people living below the surface of the world. But of these believers, few were more passionate in their conviction than Adolf Hitler. As early as 1936, Hitler was sending teams of, quote, spelunkers into caves and mines all over Europe searching for the Vrilia. The Nazis had also explored Antarctica extensively during the years 1937-38. 
In search of the fabled hole of the South Pole, they apparently had success like Admiral Byrd in discovering these entrances. It was here that some say they made contact with the, quote, unknown Superman who lived in the fabled Rainbow City. Okay, um, so... Rainbow course, City? Okay. You know, the unknown Superman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that was a comic book, but anyway. Uh, so what does this have to do with the famous opal mining town in Outback Australia, Lightning Ridge? Well, I have a feeling we're going to find out. None that I could find that other people had drawn. <laughs> so as far as like th- this deep conspiracy or whatever, I couldn't find an official one. But I managed to find two suspicious links between Nazi Germany and the opal mining operations of Lightning Ridge. Okay. Well, First. one is Brill, so we've got that out of the way. What's the other one? Uh, three, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so that's why I said the sentient opals. Well, uh... <laughs> so first, a certain alleged German spy named Oscar Speck canoed from Germany to Australia in the 1930s for some fucking reason. Well, he probably got some maps off uh, a Chinese emperor who recognized his fighting prowess. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there may have been other reasons. But yeah, he stopped in Iran, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka on the way. Places with a lot of historical artifacts and ties to historical Aryanism. uh, And then, in the decades since his visit, esoteric Hitlerism. Quote, and this is, is this from Wikipedia? Yep, the Wikipedia article on Oscar Speck. Various stories of Oscar's kayak being able to fly and dive led to him being arrested at the next port he rested at. <laughs> However, he was released two days later and resumed his trip. Oh, oh, it could fly, could it? Almost as if it were powered by Vril. That's an extremely good. And that's why, I mean, you know, you can't arrest someone for flying a canoe. That's not an offense. But we all yep. know that the use of Vril power has been outlawed. That's world government doesn't want that getting around. No. His reports being able to fly. He gets pulled in for a couple of days. Mate, you gotta paddle the kayak Please. when you're in sight of the coast. This coastline. is a very Harry Potter flying car scenario. You know, it's we basic can't be shit. again. Yeah. If yeah. you can't if you can't invisibilize this, you're gonna need to keep it waterborne only. <laughs> Good rule of thumb. <laughs> People he, can see you. Stay on the water. He he paddled to Australia very in between the time that he left and arriving. World War Two had started, <laughs> um, so he was immediately arrested for being possibly a German spy. Well, that's quite, again that's be- you know he wasn't arrested for canoeing. He was arrested for canoeing while being a Nazi. <laughs> while being a German, it was never confirmed that he was a spy. But who I gets he's canoeing around the world in his flying canoe Nazi Germany for pleasure? No. Pre-war Nazi Germany, sure, but it's still like the Vril mining. Oh, there's not the Vril mining, but the, the the all of this shit happened. The Thor Society sent Hitler <laughs> to investigate the NSDAP. I mean, this is on the record, people. Okay, so, but once he got released from jail, I shit you not, he started an opal mine in Lightning Ridge. Oh, um, okay. So clearly, he was sent to search for. Either the Vrilya or the Vril, depending on yep. how kooky you like your, your theories. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, stopping off in Iran and Sri Lanka on the way. Yep. Yep. Just to check in. 
Okay, so that's connection number one. Oh, sorry. Well, real connection number two. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the second one, there's a museum in Lightning Ridge called Chambers of the Black Hand, which is <laughs> super fucking weird. It's an underground museum of carvings where they've basically been like, well, this used to be a mine, and now I've carved a little dog here. Um, and there's like, you know, like Shinboru style, like angels coming out of the walls and shit. Uh-huh. So it's just like these like long winding tunnels that you can pay to walk around and see these guys carvings of dogs and shit. Okay. Right. But the Black Hand, aka the Slovenian Gestapo, not to be confused with the Black Hand, the Serbian terrorist organization who assassinated Franz Ferdinand were of course, trained... look, do, do I look like do I look wet behind the ears to you? I know my black hand from my black hand. <laughs> I'm glad you do. Please. Yeah, so these little ones, respect for our listeners. The Slovenian Gestapo black hand were apparently trained by the Ananerve slash SS slash Thor Society expeditions yes. who were in Yugoslavia searching for the spear of young uh, of Longinus. Yes. So yeah. yeah. No, it go. is fully coming. Presumably, yeah. the chambers of the Black Hand continue their mission in secret, competing against the separate mission that was Oscar. That Oscar was right. Center. So or, it's or a real, on. it's a real rich area, and essentially we've got competing. Well, Slovenian they could be collaborating. And... That's unclear to me. Okay, all right. So, but okay, but what is? undeniable at this point is that Nazis were looking for Vril or Vrilia again delete as appropriate in the opal mining town of Lightning Ridge if you search Lightning Ridge conspiracy in Google or I my first thing was like Lightning Ridge population mystery in YouTube and I was like fuck oh, yeah this yeah. is going to be the easiest 20 minutes of research I've ever done on a conspiracy <laughs> instead I had to read about anonymous novels from the 19th century but he it's basically like there's a sign that's been there for decades that says welcome to lightning ridge population question mark (laughs) um and it's like some people think that it's a mystery other people think it's a joke because it's a mining town so the population fluctuates dramatically I mean, it's it is, definitely the second one. It's a mystery but it could in that be, it's like, it is a literal question. <laughs> how many millions of Vrilya live underground there? That's the real question. Question the mystery mark? population. Yeah. Yeah. Coincidence? Yes. Yeah. So there you go. That's um, conspiracies from three levels of the Ozpol conspiracy iceberg. I hope you're all feeling... Enlightened edified. or darkened, edified. Yeah, that's yeah. a good word for it. Yeah. Thank you, cool guy sixty nine, for the suggestion. That was a lot um, of fun. Yeah. Yeah. If you know anything about all the conspiracies that we mentioned, even the ones that we didn't really talk about, we want to know about it in the Discord. Hit us up, please. If you have any theories about the Lucas Heights portal, I need to fucking know. Does it have something to do with the development of land previously held by the nuclear installation into a community sports facility? I don't I just tell me if that's true. Uh thank you very much for Thanks, being everyone. a patron of Ospol Stack Pod. We'll try we and get it very this much. month's one out this month. Yeah. This, this bonus episode. Yeah. Yeah, but, we uh, promise to try. Um, I can't promise I'll try, but I I'll try to try. Thank you, Noon. 
and thank you for all your your deep dark research and thank you for, shi for shining a black light into some of the gnarlier crevices of the history Australian of this continent history, yeah yeah uh all right thanks everybody we'll catch you uh you know soon for more podcast see ya crunch crunch power may the power of vril be with you is that what you said yeah, but not in like a racist way, just in like a yeah. sci-fi note. Oh, I forgot to say, possibly the first ever sci-fi convention was a Vril-themed market in like Victorian England. Huh. Um, there you go. Yeah. Well, may your canoe ever be powered Flying, by Vril. Except when visible. Yeah. Yep. Bye. All right, peace. Listener, one of my conspiracies wasn't a real conspiracy, but which one was it? Only you can find out. Keep watching the skies. <laughs>